Thank you, Brenda, for that. Well, I'm going to give you a head start on the passage for this morning. It's in the book of Haggai. Yeah, so give you a big head start. Yeah, it's the last week of our series, Hard Facts About Harvest, also the last week of November. Yeah, this uh, Haggai, it actually is a book of the Bible. Some of you looked at me strangely when I said it. It is sandwiched in between the Z books, yeah, between Zephaniah and Zechariah. And so if you get there, and, and once you get there, or even if you don't get there, if you're physically able, would you stand? We don't want to embarrass you that if you can't get there. So i got to get there myself. Haggai, and we're going to read in chapter 1 this morning, there in the book of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that put, earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the sixth year of Darius the king. And this morning we're talking about this topic. We can't change last year's harvest. And let's pray. Father, would you work today in this passage as we begin to discern what it means? And for many, it, it may be the first time uh, that we've ever seen this passage. And so I pray that you would help our hearts to be at one with your spirit as we observe your scriptures and as we find out uh, this incredible fact about your harvest that's important to our lives today. Guide us now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. 
it's hard to stand on shifting sand it's hard to shine in the shadows of the night you can't be free if you don't reach for help and you can't love if you don't love yourself there is hope when the faith runs out because i'm in better hands now it's like the sun is shining when the rain is pouring down it's like my soul is flying but my feet are Take this heart of mine, there's no doubt I'm in better hands now I am strong, all because of you I stand in awe of every mountain that you move For I am changed, yesterday is gone Like my soul is flying, but my feet are on the ground. It's like the world is silent, but I know it isn't true. It's like the breath of Jesus is right here in this room. Take this heart of mine, there's no doubt. I'm in better hands. Thank you, Amy, for that song. I appreciate my wife and thankful for her at this time of year. And I many of you know she just celebrated her Jack Benny birthday this past week. And, and only the older people even know what that means anymore. Um, she was already a few years behind me. And what the Jack Benny birthday means is she's not ever going to catch up because they stick there, right? Jack Benny stayed 39 for how many years? Um, goodness gracious. I just gave her age away. I was trying to do it in a subtle way, and uh, man, I messed up. I'm going to be in trouble on that one. Well, thank you for that song. I, I want to bring you up to speed here on the context of this little book called Haggai. 
Leanna. For those of you who like history, maybe you'll like this story. And for those of you who don't like history, try to stay awake, okay? We're going to give you just a little quick history lesson. In 536 B.C., okay, so this is a while back, 536 B.C., Cyrus the Great, who historians obviously verify existed as the Persian emperor, he fulfilled the prophecy that the prophet Jeremiah had given 70 years before in 606 B.C. And he gave a decree that allowed a remnant of over 42,000 Jews to leave Persia and return to their homeland so that they could rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. By the way, if you ever want to read the historical account of this, it's found in the Bible book of Ezra. Well, the Jews made it safely back to Jerusalem and they got started on the temple project. But 15 years later, they hadn't constructed anything but the foundation. And so here in Haggai, Haggai, we find out why the project had stalled for so long. The work of God had been interrupted. And God's people were stuck in self-preservation mode. The first year that they didn't work on the temple, it was difficult for everybody to cope. They were kind of in misery, like, goodness, we've let God down and we haven't worked on the temple. The second year, it got a little bit easier. And every year after that, it got even easier until they had basically forgotten the reason why they had returned to the land in the first place. Because the remnant never dealt with their failure to build the first year, they repeated the next year and for a decade and a half. Until Haggai, this guy, and Zechariah, the next guy, showed up. And they stood up in the community of the over 40,000 Jews, and they began to let them have it with both barrels about what God's plan was and what God's way was. And so we're going to take this passage today and use it in this series and in this sermon that says that you can't change last year's harvest. And I think that like all the other facts, we understand this one. We know it's true. And yet sometimes we don't live like it's true. And so let's see first, hopeless changes. Hopeless changes. If you have a bulletin, there's notes in there. If you'd like to use them, they're provided for you. Hopeless changes. Your your notes up on the board say hopeless challenges. And uh, I've got hopeless changes in mine, and uh, apparently my writing is illegible. For the, the people who typed it. Now it says hopeless changes. Thank you. We have a, a maestro in the booth. Wow. You guys never would have noticed, would you? How many had already caught it? Like, oh, they messed up. Okay, see, look at you. You superior people, you. Hopeless changes. Whatever we did last year is over and past. As much as we would like to climb into a time machine and ask for a redo, that option is unavailable. Yesterday ended last night. That's a great saying. I've always kept a note in my office that has that right on a post-it note. Yesterday ended last night. The past can't be changed one way or the other, good or bad. You can't take back those words. You can't try to catch that ball that went through your hands in the turkey bowl on Wednesday 
that ruined the game for everyone. I'm just teasing. Nobody in here did that. You can't retrieve those horrible things that you did to another person. You can't change the, the drastic, worthless things that were done to you in your life. Some people in this room have had horrible things done to you. And you can't change them. They're yesterday. Last year's harvest is over. And so we're left with the decision. Will I spend days of my life, weeks of my life, months, years of my life, wishing I could change the past, or will I move forward? Now, the builders in Jerusalem got a fast start. They really did. But then they began to struggle. I want you to look back with me to Ezra, the book that has the history of this event, in Ezra chapter 4. And Ezra is, uh, it's just over a third of the way through the Old Testament. The Old Testament in the English Bible is not chronological. And so we have Ezra, which is really one of the last books in chronology, but it's way back just before the middle of the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 4. And when you get there, we find out that the people had already built the foundation at the end of chapter 3, and now they had some adversaries who began to show up in verse number 1. And then look at verse number 4. Here's what I wanted you to read with me. Then the people of the land, look what it says, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. Look, and hired counselors against them. So even back in that day, they had PR firms that you could hire to mess somebody's plan up. Even back in that day, they had political consultants that would gather in a room and decide, what what can we get on this guy? Right? What could we put out in the media about our opponent? And how could we do a scorched earth thing on these people? It was happening even before Bill Clinton, all the way back in Ezra. So some of you, you're just not with me at all today, and I'm trying to help you. How many of you even know who Bill Clinton is? I mean, you feel like we're in an alternate universe right now. All right, so verse 5, and hired counselors against them. Now look at this next phrase. If you underline stuff in your Bible, you should underline this next phrase. Look what it says. To frustrate their purpose. To frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, there's going to be even kings in between those two. For 15 years, their purposes are going to be frustrated. And I want you to understand that there was a legitimate enemy here. There was a legitimate move to stop them from building. And yet, God in Haggai, said, some of this is on you. Some of this is on your choices and your decisions. And so the builders got to a fast start, but they began to struggle. Here's a question I have for you. Who do you think desires you to fail in your service to the Lord? Who do you think it is that desires for your marriage to fall apart? And for your kids not to succeed. 
Well, it's the devil. You got it right. It's the enemy. It's not the Lord. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil, the enemies of God that want your purposes frustrated. To use that same phrase. It's the enemies of God that want the work of God in your life to come to a standstill. Now look at verse 6. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So there was Cyrus, and then there was Ahasuerus, and and these kings in between Darius. And, And we see that they made an accusation. These false accusations began to add up. I don't know if anybody has ever made a false accusation against you. Probably has, right? Probably in your life at some point. Or maybe somebody has overstated something about you. Or maybe somebody has minimized one of the good things you did. Maybe somebody's taken credit for one of the good things you did. Maybe somebody stole your idea. These are all things that happen in the Scripture, and they're things that happen to us still. And the Apostle John reminded us in Revelation that Satan himself is the accuser of the brethren. He constantly brings your failures to the forefront. Not only does he make up stuff about you because he's the father of lies, but he actually brings up the truth about you. Don't raise your hand on this one. If you have something that you've done before that you really don't like people to bring up again and again, are you here today? Maybe that wasn't a real good question. I don't know if I phrased it properly. But you know, we have things in our lives that we've failed at, that we've messed up at, and Satan just keeps just digging it in there. Putting it in where it hurts us. And people reminding us of our failures, of our past. You know, forgiveness doesn't do that. God has the ability, Scripture says, to remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. Human beings don't have that ability. When we are in a discussion with our spouse, all of a sudden something that our spouse did two years ago comes to mind. And it's something maybe that you said to your spouse, oh, I forgive you for that. But now when the discussion is taking place, it comes back to the forefront. And you said, you remember what you said on August 13th, 1998? It's my sister's birthday. I don't know how that just popped out. (coughs) Wow, she was 18 years old that day. And all of a sudden it comes back and you're being accused again. And you thought it was forgiven, you thought it was gone, and now it's frustrating your current purpose. (coughs) And so these failures, these accusations, sometimes cause us to live in self-pity over yesterday. (coughs) And when we live in self-pity over yesterday... How many of you know that we are ineffective for today? 
when we're still trying to relive what happened to us last week or last month or two years ago, negative or positive, we become ineffective. And these are hopeless changes. You can't change what happened in the past. It's impossible. Just a caution before we move to the next part of the message. I've already said don't get hung up on your failures. But don't get hung up on your successes either. See, this happens a lot in sports. A team wins a championship, and then they come out the next year looking horrible. They're resting on yesterday's victories. And last year's great harvest has nothing to do with this year's harvest. The seeds have to be planted again. We can still praise the Lord for the victories of yesterday. We can bless His name and talk about what He did. But we have to move forward. Churches all across America are closing their doors. And the statistics are just unreal. Um, Some stats say it's over 200 churches a week that permanently close in the United States of America. And uh, many are facing slow death because they tried to live on the victories from decades before. After that building program in 1979, they were all worn out, and so they didn't really focus on the children in the church in the 1980s. And then those kids grew up and vanished, and then there was a lost generation. And now there are no kids in the church, and the average person in the congregation is over 75 years old. And even though they're sweet folks, and they're great Christians, and they're givers, and they love people, there's no future. What happened? Well, they tried to live off last year's harvest instead of planting for future harvest. I worked for a pastor years and years ago. And I, as I worked for him, I was just a young, young guy and probably overcritical of some things and had a lot to learn in my life. Well, one of the things I noticed is that the church was, just kept going in cycles. And their whole history, it seemed like they had gotten up to like 50 or 60 people or 70 people, and then they'd go back down to 40. And then they'd go up to 70, and they'd go down to 40. And I just couldn't figure out, well, what's going on here? We should be able to move past this. And trying to figure it out, you know, from being a new person. And one thing I found was every week as I led the music, I would get up, and I wasn't trying to snoop or anything, but the pastor's sermon would be on the pulpit. And every sermon I ever saw him preach was from the file from 1976. Now, how many of you know that was before I was, I was an adult? It was an old sermon. It wasn't fresh. He pulled it out just to give one. And uh, listen to me. If we don't freshen our lives not just with sermons, but with our devotions, with our family life, with our ministry, with our service to God, then we're not going to succeed. So we can't change the past if it was bad. We can't change the past if it was good. It's the past. We get this. Everybody in here understands what I'm saying. This is not new ground. But those are hopeless changes, and we need to be reminded. Let's move on to handling consequences. So if we can't change it, what do we do? How do we handle it? How do we make things right? How do we move forward? 
Well, instead of allowing the failures to mark you for life and neutralize your ability to serve the Lord, God wants us to confess our faults and rest in His grace and forgiveness. Wallowing in failure will only get you a repeat harvest. But learning from failure is often the back door to success. Years ago, I read a book by John Maxwell. Not John Maxwell, Cynthia's husband, but John C. Maxwell. And I tell pastors all over America, John Maxwell goes to our church, Cynthia. Like, he does? Yeah, but not John C. Maxwell. So, anyway, how many even know who John C. Maxwell is? Oh, goodness. I just feel like I don't have... I feel like I'm unrelatable today. How many of you have shoes on today? Make me feel good. Okay, so this is good. We're... We're getting somewhere. We have common ground. How many of you have ever tasted turkey before? Oh, it's good. This is very good. We're getting, we're getting somewhere. How many had turkey this past week? Did you have turkey? Do you like that? How many of you are leftover turkey people? Okay. How many of you, when the turkey's done on Thanksgiving, like I'm done. I don't want any for another year. Okay. How many of you, the open-faced uh, dark turkey sandwich? With gravy on top of it? Yeah? And do you have any leftover uh, pumpkin pie? No? Some of they ate it all? How many of you put the nuts in your sweet potatoes this year? Pecans, right there. Amen, hallelujah. Our sweet potatoes were so good this year that if I had put them on the top of my head, my tongue would have beat my brains out trying to get to it. That's how good they were. They were incredible. But we get to this point in our lives, and like I was saying, John Maxwell, he wrote this book, it's an awesome title, it's called Failing Forward. Failing Forward. It's a great concept. Basically, all of us will fail. We're human beings. But when you fail, when you fall... Pick something up that can be useful for your future. You know what most of us do when we fall? What do you think we do? We look around to see who saw us fall. It's the first thing we do. Right? Even when we kind of trip as we walk, like, anybody see me? Look like I don't know how to walk. And we don't really think about the actual issue that made us fall. And and so it's an important thing to handle the consequences. There are some steps in Scripture, and let me lay them out for you uh, as we think about processing last year's negative harvest. First step is to confess your failures to God, and to start with a clean field. Our life groups had a verse this morning from Psalm chapter 32, and I want to read it to you. It's an incredible verse, Psalm 32, verse 5. Listen to all the action verbs in this verse. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And so you have to confess your failures to God and start with a clean field to lay seed in. Then you have to rest in God's forgiveness. Regardless of your past, God's forgiveness and His grace is greater than our sin. Where sin abounded, 
grace did much more abound. And I love that passage in Romans 5. And then learn from your failures and your sufferings. I want you to notice something in Hebrews 5. I looked at this first one day, and I thought, this can't be right. There's no way this could be right. Hebrews chapter 5. But it's right here in the Bible. The author of Hebrews, through the Holy Spirit, gave it to us. This chapter is talking about Jesus Christ, the high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. And so it's talking about Melchizedek, who is Jesus Christ. Look what he said, though, in Hebrews 5, 8. Now, this is Jesus Christ is talking about. Look what it says. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, Jesus didn't have any mistakes to learn from. He never made any. He didn't have any sins to learn from. But the Bible tells us that he learned obedience from his sufferings. And so, in his example, we can learn from our sufferings and our failures. And then we have to forget the past and we have to press for the future. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. He said, forgetting that which is behind and reaching forth unto that which is before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then, since you're in Hebrews, go a few pages to the right to James. And I want to show you a powerful passage that might help you with this as well. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Use your trials as character builders. James chapter 1, verse 2. <coughs> My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, there is a huge mistake that you can make in your life, and some of you maybe have done this before. Have you ever prayed for patience? Please don't ever do that. It is a big mistake to pray for patience. But when trials come, the Bible says to let patience have her perfect work. <coughs> we are living in a modern example of patience. Our dear friend Connie Hain is now walking with the walking cast. She had that wire thing on her foot for nine months. It is just incredible. And the patience it takes to, to do all of that. I was just reading a book uh, that our, our speaker gave me a few weeks ago from our mission banquet called Unbroken. And I think it's going to be a movie pretty quick here. But uh, it's about an incredible guy who lived, uh, was born in 1917, I think, and, and fought in World War II and he, uh, his, his plane, he was in a B-24, and uh, they were on a search out in the middle of the Pacific, and his plane ditched and, and went down. And only three of the guys survived, and between them they had these two tiny little life rafts. They survived on those two little life rafts, two of them, for 47 days. 47 days. 
um, when he was found, he only weighed 65 pounds. And uh, he was found, it just so happens, by the Japanese and put immediately into a prison camp. And then into another prison camp. And then into another prison camp. And it's just incredible um, what happened to him and, and the patience that he lived through and that he learned. When he came back to the United States, his life turned south and, and he began to drink and, and his life fell apart. He had just married and, and things were horrible. And uh, I had I'd heard this story before, but I'd never known who it was. And uh, his name is Louis uh, Zamperini. And in 1949, as he came back from World War II, his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. And his wife trusted Jesus Christ. And she came home that day and she said, Louis, I want you to go to this with me the next night. And he went with her the next night and he got so mad at what was being said that when the end of the service came, he just got up and walked out. And uh, she talked him into going back the next night. And he said, when Billy Graham says, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm leaving. I'm not staying for that part. And she said, okay, fair enough. And so they went back into the big tent crusade. And uh, they sat down. And uh, when Billy Graham, he preached this great sermon on salvation. And he said, every head bowed, every eye closed. Louis Zamperini um, stood up to walk out. And when he did, he said he didn't know what happened, but all of a sudden, this picture came into his mind of him on that life raft saying to God, God, if you get me out of this, I'll give my life to you. And he'd never thought about it for years and years. And instead of turning to go out of the tent, he went to the front, gave his life to Jesus Christ, became a devoted follower of Christ. That probably is not going to be in the movie they're putting out. <laughs> but he started a, a boy's ranch, a reclamation ranch, to help youth who were troubled. And um, he lived to be 97 years old. He just passed away this past July in Los Angeles. But if you ever want to read <laughs> his story, it's fascinating. You should grab it off of Amazon. It's called Unbroken. But handling consequences with patience... When I think about that, goodness, that story came to mind. But then we see this third part, heartened commitment. Heartened commitment. Getting renewed, getting rebooted, getting refurbished, getting ready to go. Whether last year's harvest was a great success or a miserable failure, for us to reap anything good next year, today's seeds still have to be planted. We have to be present and intentional in our labors for the Lord. Look back in Ezra again. If you can find it one more time. i only make you do it one more time. Ezra, chapter 5. And once again, it's been 15 years of doing nothing. And then we get to chapter 5, verse number 1. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up 
Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, had began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. So Haggai and Zechariah got them moving again. And the governor and the priest led the charge. And in back in Haggai, we read this in chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, about how these leaders said, we're going to keep building, we're going to start it again. If it was the right thing to do 15 years ago, and God never told us to stop, let's get back up and do it again. Some of us have these things in our lives that we know, and we've known for years or decades, that we are supposed to be doing for the Lord, and we just keep setting it aside. And we just keep giving up on it. And we say, well, I haven't done it like I'm supposed to for all these years, why start now? And sometimes that's the way sin is with us. It's so deceitful. There are people who you have a, an addiction and you go six months and you make it without succumbing to your addiction. And then that day when everything hits you emotionally, you succumb to your addiction. And instead of repenting and turning back to God, you say, well, I'm already this far. I might as well mess it up even more. And so then for two or three days or a week or a month or who knows how long, you stay down in that muck, in that mire. And God wants us to get renewed. He wants us to get a heartened commitment for Him. The future of your relationship with God requires you to be present. The future of your family requires you to be present in your relationships. The future of your service to God requires you to get busy today. You know why God's placed you in a church family like this? Because there are people here to encourage you to be present in your roles and responsibilities. God has gifted people in this body to be teachers and ministers and encouragers and givers and burden bearers and leaders so that we can all grow in the present. If you live on an island, you're going to get stuck in your past. But if you live in the body of Christ, you will understand the importance of your role you have a role here in the body. Ephesians 4 says, that which every joint supplieth. We all have a role in helping each other. And in this story in Ezra, Haggai and Zechariah got up and said, we got to get back to where we're supposed to be. And then the two other guys, the, the leaders, the governor and the priest said, yeah, you're right, let's do it. And some of you you know the right thing to do. And all it would take is somebody to walk up beside you and say, you know what, let's go do this thing. And you go do it. We just need that camaraderie, that encouragement, that heartened commitment to serve the Lord. Let's close today with some harvest considerations as we finish out not only the sermon, but the series. There are two days of every week that we should never worry about. One of them is yesterday, and the other is tomorrow. You should never worry about yesterday or tomorrow. By taking care of today, we can prepare and provide for the future. God enables us to bear the burdens of today. That's clear in the Scripture. Again and again, we find that promise that He gives us strength for the day. That He gives us grace for the day. We know that He gives us strength for today. 
Here's where we get in trouble. When we pile yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries on top of today's plate. You ever heard somebody say, I have too many things on my plate? I just have too many burdens. You know what usually is happening? They're taking the regrets of yesterday or the worries of tomorrow and putting them on today's plate. God tells us again and again, if we're His children, that He has given us grace for this day. And His grace is sufficient for us. Now, we either don't believe that, or we're not living in today. We're still trying to relive yesterday, or we're reaching too far out to tomorrow. The words of Jesus in Matthew 6 speak so well to this subject. And I'd like to close there this morning in Matthew chapter 6. This passage helps us to finalize today's thought, but it also encapsulates this whole series. I don't know of a more powerful passage in Scripture than I like to read to challenge my own life and to be renewed as I think about the harvest. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? I tried that, it did not work. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye little faith? Wherefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, with planners and cell phones that have calendars, and calendars all over the place, it's not easy for us to not think about tomorrow. I mean, we have planning for the future, we have estate planning, we have insurance planning, we have planning for all the things we're doing related to vocations and occupations and education. And if we're not careful, we get so burdened by tomorrow that we never live today. And I, I truly believe that there are some of God's people here today who are so burdened by your past that you're not 
letting go of and you're not dealing with in the proper way. Or maybe you're so concerned about something in the future that you're not living today. Now you see this sometimes with kids. You've got, you know, an 11-year-old girl who wants to be 18. And, a, and mom's trying to keep her back, hold her back. And she's wanting all the stuff that the 18-year-olds have, right? And they're 16, and they want to be out of high school, or they want to be in college, or they want to be married. And they're always thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, or two years from now, or three years from now. Live today. Enjoy today. Be who God made you to be today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. How many of you have ever been in a place like me where you thought, boy, I just don't know if the sun is coming up tomorrow? And it still did. Now, it may have been on top of the clouds, but it still came up. And no matter how much you worry, it doesn't affect what happens tomorrow. And how much you hold on to that past, it doesn't affect what happens in your future. And so God says there's some things about the harvest that are important. And one of those is you can't change last year's harvest. But you can definitely change tomorrow's harvest if you plant today. Let's bow in prayer. Today is a day where I would just invite you to bring your burdens before God. Could be one of your burdens from your past. What are your worries from your future? It could be a loved one that you're concerned about. A son or a daughter, a grandchild, brother, or sister. Whatever your burden is, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to bring it before God. And to give it to Him and say, God, I can only do today. You said your grace is sufficient for today. Help me to live the way I'm supposed to live today, in the present, to spend the time with you I need to, to be the husband, father, mother, wife, young person that I need to be. Father, would you work in our lives today? There may be people whose eternal future depends on decision they make today about Jesus Christ. There could be people who have been wallowing in the past, who have been burdened by things that happened years ago or months ago. There could be folks who are so worried about what's coming up in a year, in six months, that they haven't lived today. I pray that you would help us to treasure and value today because you said in your word, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So could we bring our burdens before you at this time? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? I'm going to invite you. If you want to bring a burden before God today, if you need to come to the altar or sit in your seat or come to the seats at the front to pray, whatever God has laid on your heart, come right now as the music plays and come before your God. so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word 
just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just to simply faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Our Father, we thank you again that you are almighty, that you are the sovereign God. We thank you that you are never surprised, that you're never dismayed, that you never wonder what should be done. Thank you that you know what's going to happen with our lives if we would trust in you. And so I pray that you would give us the determination and the courage and the faith to trust you in the present. And even though we can learn from the past, help us to release the past so that we can live today for your glory. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do in our lives. Pray that you would bless each person here today and each family that's represented, each burden, each need, each care that has been brought to this place. Guide us now safely. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have choir practice tonight at 445, evening service at 530. Hope to see you. God bless you. Love you.